From the Edwin Cardinal O'Brien Pastoral Center in Washington, D.C., home base for the Archdiocese for the Military Services USA, this is Catholic Military Life, the only official podcast of the Archdiocese. I'm your moderator, Taylor Henry, and today is my high privilege to have as a guest Admiral William J. Fallon. Admiral Fallon, thank you so much for talking to me today. My pleasure. Nice to be here. And we're going to be talking today about the uh, annual pilgrimage for the sea services that will be coming up this year on October 6th, 3 p.m. at the uh, Shrine to uh, St. Elizabeth Ann Seton. Uh, Tell me a little bit about this pilgrimage. It's celebrated every year. Uh, What's the the purpose? Uh, Happy to, uh, Taylor. So this pilgrimage was the, uh, the brainchild of uh, the late uh, Cardinal O'Connor when he was still in the Navy. In fact, he was the chief of chaplains uh, in the Navy. And Admiral Jim Watkins, who at the time was the chief of naval personnel. And it was just after Mother Seton uh, had been canonized. And the Cardinal O'Connor uh, petitioned to have her named as the patron saint of the sea services uh, here in the United States. And the sea services uh, consists of the Navy and the United States Marine Corps, the Coast Guard, the uh, Merchant Marine, and the Public Health Service. And the idea was to uh, gather a group of the faithful to go up to Emmitsburg, uh, just up the road here, about an hour north of Washington, and to uh, pray uh, to Mother Seton for, uh, for her intercession to take care of our people, servicemen and women in the sea services and their families. And so uh, this began uh, back in the late 70s and uh, continued for uh, quite a few years. Uh, there was a short hiatus, uh, I think, back in the, in the late 90s, but it was begun again uh, by Admiral Watkins and, uh, and moved forward. So there was a uh, it was a sponsoring committee that was put together back back in the old days, and uh, many of those uh, sponsors are still alive. And I'm was uh, very honored to pick up the mantle from Admiral Watkins uh, a couple of years before he passed away, and to take over as the chairman of this annual pilgrimage. Now, uh, what is um, uh, Saint Elizabeth Ann Seton's connection to the sea services? So the uh, the connection here is that two of her sons actually served in the Navy uh, back in the days of the Revolution and uh, War of 1812. And uh, she, uh, over uh, many years, uh, didn't get to see these two sons of hers very frequently, but there was a, a lively correspondence, uh, such as it was in those days, by, by mail back and forth. Uh, one of her sons actually uh, passed away while on service, uh, but uh, Mother Seton uh, was very, very interested uh, in her sons, of course, and in their naval service. And so it was, uh, it was very, very uh, much uh, natural, I think, uh, in the minds of of uh, Cardinal O'Connor and, and Admiral Watkins to uh, to put this together. And so it's continued uh, pretty much uh, with only a minor interruption for. Uh, uh, working on 40 years now. And we think of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton as an educator. She founded uh, schools sure. and uh, at least one orphanage and whatnot. Uh, the Sea Service doesn't immediately come to mind for those who are not uh, acquainted with her background. What goes on at these annual pilgrimages? So this is uh, quite simply uh, a mass. Uh, 
Um, it's uh, celebrated uh, typically in, uh, in mid-afternoon, uh, usually a 3 o'clock start time, uh, in the Basilica, which is just an absolutely beautiful uh, facility up on the, the campus. The sisters have uh, done a terrific job of developing that, and the sisters, by the way, support this uh, very avidly, as does the military archdiocese. Uh, Archbishop Rolio has been very kind in helping us in co-sponsoring this. But uh, we, we pretty much, uh, with the committee, uh, take care of putting it together. So we have a mass uh, to which the public's invited. And, of course, we try to get representatives uh, from the services uh, to attend. Uh, the mass is, uh, is done with a, a little bit of formality. It's a high mass. Uh, we uh, seek uh, celebrants. Uh, from uh, throughout the, uh, the country that have some connection with the Navy or the Marine Corps, the sea services. And uh, we've been uh, very, uh, uh, very pleased to be able to, to have uh, some, some great homilists, uh, <clears throat> uh, including the Archbishop who's, who said this Mass. So after the Mass, uh, the committee sponsors a dinner for anyone that attends. And the sisters open their refectory, and uh, we have this uh, fully catered meal for, for those that, uh, that attend. And uh, after the meal, they're free to, uh, to go about uh, back to their normal lives. So we do uh, attract uh, people from, uh, from the area, uh, not just Washington area, but up Philadelphia, New York. On the East Coast, occasionally we get people from further afield. But in some cases, uh, parishes or uh, veterans organizations that are aware of the pilgrimage will put together a, a bus, a busload or two, and, and bring people. And we've had very good and increasing crowds over the last uh, several years, and uh, we have come very close to filling that church. So I'd love to do that this year and invite everyone uh, that may have have an interest or a family member or better yet, uh, those serving uh, on active duty or retired to, to please join us at the pilgrimage. And that's a big church, a lot of pews to fill. Last year, attending the pilgrimage, I was um, surprised to see not only members of the sea service, but uh, members of other branches of the military, the Army and others. Well, sure. This is uh, today in the U.S. Armed Forces, it's uh, very much uh, called uh, jointness. And so uh, we all work together, each have have areas with specialization, but, uh, but in fact, many things are done in common, and, and we work and, and get to know people from all the services, so we're very pleased. Now, there's no exclusivity in this. <laughs> we welcome everyone. Uh, happy to have everyone. And the principal celebrant and homeless this year is uh, Bishop Michael Barber, S.J., yeah. the current uh, Bishop of Oakland. Uh, Bishop Barber has a background in military service, doesn't mm -hmm. he? Uh, he does. In fact, he's uh, just retired from um, uh, quite a few years as a Navy chaplain, uh, serving uh, mostly uh, in support of our Navy Marine Corps uh, people. He's done extensive work uh, all over the world, uh, been to the Middle East uh, during the recent wars over there in Iraq and, and Afghanistan, and uh, served on aircraft carriers and hospitals and uh, it's terrific that we have someone who, who really uh, knows our people very, very well. And we're, we're honored to have him to trek all the way across the country to, to be with us here this coming October. And it just goes to show you that Navy chaplains, uh, Army, uh, Air Force chaplains come from 
not only uh, dioceses around the country, but from religious orders too, Franciscans in the case of uh, Bishop Barber, a Jesuit. Exactly. Um, so, uh, Admiral Fallon, uh, tell me a little bit about your own background in the Navy and uh, uh, your opinion on the uh, role that faith plays right. on deployments. Well, I began my uh, Navy service uh, quite a few years ago, uh, about a half century uh, ago. I was uh, a youngster growing up in New Jersey, and I was uh, very privileged to receive a Navy scholarship to Villanova University. and uh, Good Catholic school. Wonderful school. Um, still stay very close to, uh, to the school. And so I, I attended for four years. I did uh, time in those days. We spent most of the summer. Uh, out with the fleet, learning about the Navy. And uh, upon graduation, I had requested flight school, and so I was uh, sent down to Pensacola to uh, to learn how to fly. Uh, the timing was uh, 1967, so I uh, think it was very busy for those in the military. It was uh, approaching the height of the Vietnam War. And so uh, I went through training and uh, received my wings and shortly thereafter deployed uh, out to Vietnam, uh, my first tour. Uh, flying from the aircraft carrier Ranger on the first first deployment, and I had originally uh, no intention of staying in the Navy. I thought I would uh, do my service as as most of us did in those days. Uh, quite a strong family tradition. Both of my parents had served in the Army or Army Air Corps during World War II, as had most of my uncles and and so forth. So it was uh, kind of a uh, uh, a natural thing, uh, but I didn't think I would make a career of it. But as things turned out, I've had some very, very interesting jobs. Got a lot of responsibility. Uh, met some very interesting people. Worked for some challenging, but uh, but very, very good bosses who taught me a lot. And uh, I uh, began to, uh, I thought, get pretty good at what I was doing, uh, particularly uh, in the airplane business. But as time went on, expanded into into other things. So. I had a chance to uh, uh, to observe many people over over these years. Uh, my early years, pretty much in the Navy, but uh, the last decade or so, uh, serving in uh, what we call joint assignments, so with people from all the services uh, working uh, for me and with me. And I had a chance to see some uh, some very uh, very faithful people, very very strong people. And I, it becomes very obvious, or became very obvious in this business that. Uh, there's only so much you can do on your own. You need a lot of help uh, from the Almighty. Uh, I uh, like to think uh, that in particularly the uh, aspect of the career flying from uh, aircraft carriers uh, at sea that there were many times when I had uh, little to no control over what was happening. It was uh, uh, things were put in motion, and uh, there, there were some very interesting uh uh, particularly at nighttime, challenging events. But uh, so you have faith in in God. You have faith in your fellow men. I learned that uh, we can accomplish uh, fantastic things by working together. Uh, treat people with respect. Take care of them. They're going to take care of you. We'll take care of one another. And I think uh, it's probably a good time in the history of our country right now to maybe remember some of these. Uh, some of these realities, these very basic things in life, and if we paid a little more attention, I think, to uh, to one another and their needs and uh, and helping people, uh, we'd end up helping each other and probably 
uh, move forward in, in a better place. So a lot of lessons learned over the years. Uh, got to meet some uh, some fascinating people, uh, saw some wonderful leaders, actually had a chance, uh, I could tell a short anecdote, to meet Cardinal O'Connor uh, back in the days when he was, uh, just before he, he began this pilgrimage, I was on an airplane uh, coming from Norfolk uh, up to Washington for some some business, and uh, I noticed that uh, a, uh, a Navy captain came in at the last second and sat down next to me, and I, and I was just a young lieutenant, and said, Captain, how are you? We began to chat, and then he, he told me who he was and uh, that he was on his way up to Washington uh, for a meeting, and uh, we had a, had a wonderful chat for about an hour in the airplane. So, and this uh, was Cardinal O'Connor. Cardinal O'Connor, then uh, the Navy Navy captain before uh, before he became uh, the uh, uh, Archbishop head of, head of, of New York. And, of course, the Archbishop of New York, yeah. Uh, what kind of planes did you fly? I flew uh, mostly jet aircraft uh, from the carrier, so just about everything the Navy flew in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and uh, even into the 90s. I was fortunate to be able to to stay in the cockpit for a long time, and then they took the keys to my my jets away and said, here's a nice desk, you can get to work, <laughs> do, do some staff work, and <laughs> move on. Well, uh, landing a plane on an aircraft carrier sounds like uh, something not a, a, a sane person would do, but uh, <laughs> how, do you, how do you, I mean, I, I know this is, uh, you, you know, part and parcel of being a pilot in the Navy, you have to know how to do that, and it's done every day, but uh, from a layman's perspective, that looks really difficult. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's rather attention-getting, particularly on a dark night, but uh, they learn how to do it. I'm very, uh, very fortunate uh, to have a son who's serving in the Navy, and uh, and I might say without any pushing or prodding for me, he made his decisions on his own. Uh, went into naval aviation. He just uh, finished a tour as a commander, a commanding officer of a of a fighter squadron, a strike fighter squadron uh, on an aircraft carrier. And I, I tell him that uh, he explains how things are done today. And I look at him and I say, "Geez, that's all automatic. You know, you, you don't have to work anymore." <laughs> <laughs> he looks at me like, "Well, it's not quite that easy, Dad." But, uh, so there have been uh, technical advances that that make it a little. Uh, significantly safer shall we say in doing it but uh but it's still a challenge but it's exciting and uh it makes you a, re- a true believer in, in my experience that uh there's a lot more to this world than just people and machines the almighty plays a big role we've seen a lot of secularization in recent years in society at large and in the military uh it's heartening to know that even today on ships a prayer is said nightly what at 10 o'clock yeah, taps uh, normally at ten o'clock for those. Now, aircraft carriers a little different. We uh, pretty much run around the clock, but they'll still uh, take a break and do that. Uh, we have quite a few Catholics uh, in, the, particularly Navy and Marine Corps, uh, serving in active duty. But one thing we don't have enough of, Taylor, and those that are uh, those are chaplains. And so that's what this archdiocese is really uh, about: taking care of our service people and their families. And the biggest shortfall and uh, my biggest uh, regret right now is to see the diminished number of chaplains that are serving. We really, uh, through my career, I found it was exceedingly helpful uh, to be able to count on having a chaplain out there, uh, particularly in all the larger ships at sea. Uh, that's, uh, that's not always the case today, and particularly the, the backups ashore and on the staffs. Um, it's something that uh, that we really uh, need to work hard at, and this isn't just 
people in the service, but all of us to encourage the vocations, encourage bishops to let their let some of their young priests go, and and uh, some of them may uh, decide that, that this is uh, this is an interesting uh, part of their profession and and uh, may may stay in. So we certainly need more more priests, and the sooner the better. What year did you retire from active duty? I retired in 2008. At the time of 9-11, we had uh, more than 400 chaplains in all branches of the military. Even back then, that wasn't enough. Yeah. But now we're down to about 185 or so. Yeah. So there are a couple of dynamics at work here. Uh, first, the shortage of priests uh, nationwide uh, particularly is, is acute. Um, it seems to me that that's ch- slowly changing in, the, in a very positive direction, which is really good. Uh, just before I left active duty, I had the chance to have uh, several seminarians out uh, with me in the fleet and, uh, and help send them out to ships to get a, get a feel for the Navy. Uh, they were still in seminary, still hadn't uh, done their final, final vows, but and some of them have now come into the service, and that was the idea, to, to kind of whet their appetite. Uh, but uh, the numbers are, are surely down, and I think that's quite hurtful. Uh, wasn't that many years after I got out that I, uh, my son mentioned to me that they were about to deploy on a combat deployment to the Middle East, and they didn't have a, didn't have a priest on board. So I was able to uh, make a couple of phone calls and put that ball back in motion again, uh, and with the help of the archbishop as well. So we got that straightened. It was a patch. But uh, we still need, uh, need need more priests. And uh, there's a lot of work. And again, the numbers of Catholics uh, in the service is very significant. I think probably about a third of our, uh, well, of well our serving over, people well, right well now. Well over 300,000. So, uh, so we need that. And the, the other dynamic, though, is that back in the uh, days when I began, the chaplain corps was pretty much uh, consisted of of three uh, three denominations: uh, Catholics, uh, so-called uh, mainline Protestant denominations, and some Jewish chaplains. Uh, that has now expanded. There are many, many more uh, uh, Protestant uh, chaplains of, of various faiths, and even some imams now to take care of our Muslim brothers and sisters. But uh, that diversification has, has played, I think, against uh, us in some ways in the, in the Catholic uh, priest uh, service to the, uh, to the armed forces because there are only so many uh, so-called slots now, and uh, we have to push to fill them. But we can take care of that, in my opinion. Uh, if we had more priests we, and they were readily available, uh, we could uh, we could solve that problem and and uh, take care of our people in a in a way that we'd really like to. These non-Catholic chaplains uh, are they engaged in trying to proselytize? Um, I, not that I, I see much. I'm sure there there is a little bit, uh, but uh, uh, I think the the real issue is that uh, my observation uh, we don't have as many Catholics. Uh, that uh, demonstrate their faith uh, in the numbers that we uh, that we were used to seeing, and so I think that uh, having more priests, uh, more experienced priests to uh, to help uh, bring and encourage our own people along, you know, forget uh, the others for now. Just let's focus on those that were were initially baptized and grew up as Catholics to help enhance their faith and minister to them and 
and give them uh, the kind of example and guidance that uh, that will be helpful in their lives would be the, the real first priority. And there is hope on the horizon. We've had record numbers of young men entering the seminary mm-hmm. in hopes of becoming military chaplains. But it's a long process. If sure. you start today, it's going to take eight years. You go through seminary for five mm-hmm. years, and then uh, according to uh, the agreements the Archdiocese for the Military Services has with its partner dioceses around the country and the religious orders, uh, these men, after they get out of seminary, have to do three years yeah. of pastoral service. And uh, there's another aspect of this too, Taylor, and that's that on uh, on some in some of the assignments in the Navy, for example, on the large ships like the aircraft carriers, we have six thousand or so people on this. That's a very large number. And uh, with all those folks, uh, there are all kinds of issues and problems. And uh, uh, in my experience, it's uh, often better to have a more experienced priest, someone that's actually been around, spent, uh, spent some years dealing with, uh, with problems uh, in the service and in life. Uh, we're so short of priests now that quite often we'll end up with very young lieutenants by rank, but uh, uh, young men who have only been in the priesthood for a couple of years limited experience, and uh, and now they're dealing with a, a range of challenges that is uh, pretty uh, pretty significant. So in, a, in a, a better world, what we'd like to see is have people come in, serve in, in positions where they can pick up experience and, uh, and gradually grow into the responsibilities. And it's not unlike the the way that the services operate in bringing people in as youngsters. They have very defined, limited responsibility as they grow. Uh, they pick up more experience, then they, they end up with greater responsibilities, and it's kind of a natural progression. So we could use that. I, I was uh, pretty, pretty amazed to see uh, recently uh, several uh, very, very young priests with a uh, few years under their belt uh, in positions where uh, they have a lot of, a lot of responsibility. Well, the three years of pastoral service in their home diocese or religious orders helps a little bit, I suppose. Sure. But, um, well, tell me this. Uh, I understand that in the military, the chaplain is the only officer that you can go to, and there's no chance of any anything said between uh, the chaplain and whoever it is coming to see him, an enlisted guy or a, another officer, you know, getting back to the chain of command. Sure. Well, you, you, uh, uh, that confidentiality is, uh, is very real and it's very respected. Um, we, uh, we hold, uh, like to think that we hold people to, uh, high standards of accountability, which I believe we do. And, uh, it's, uh, sometimes, uh, challenging today because of the backgrounds of, People uh, coming in into the service uh, quite different, I think, than days of my youth when uh, we grew up in a in a much more disciplined, uh, uh, less uh, less fraught and less frenetic and less complicated in many respects, from certainly from the technology standpoint. And so there was a lot more focus on basics. Uh, we get people today uh, just coming into the service that have a tremendous range of inexperience or very very different uh, experiences, and they're uh, they're not used to working together as as much as they may have in the old days. So it takes more time, more attention, and often they need more help and more uh, good advice uh, along the spiritual side. 
some have no spiritual background whatsoever. And just look at the, the sheer numbers, the percentage of folks coming in that have little to no uh, religious background whatsoever is it's pretty staggering uh, looking back uh, for the way it used to be in decades past. And so there's a very significant need for a good uh, priests to help bring these people along. And uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful uh, profession of service. I wish uh, that uh, we could, in this country of ours, the great United States of America, encourage people, everyone, all of our young people, to do some kind of service. It doesn't have to be in the military, but some service. We get enough, enough to willing to... Uh, interested in serving in uniform, but if we all did a little more service just a year, some piece of time, I think we'd be a lot better off. And and we'd actually learn a lot because people, when they work together, uh, particularly helping others, uh, learn uh, learn those really essential traits of helping one another to do better, and we all, we all end up in a better place. It all go, goes back to what uh, Jesus said about self-denial and service to others. Um, and thanks to senior leaders like yourself, uh, you, you know, there's inspiration for others to come along. And uh, your involvement in the uh, pilgrimage for the sea services is just one of the uh, ways that uh, you're involved in encouraging the practice of faith in the U.S. military. Uh, so the uh, 2019 pilgrimage for the sea services is scheduled for Sunday, October 6th. Uh, at the uh, St. Elizabeth Ann Seton Shrine in Emmitsburg. That address is 339 South Seton Avenue, Emmitsburg, Maryland. The Mass starts at 3 p.m., and afterward there is a, a banquet, a, a, a dinner for Served all. Served buffet dinner, plenty to eat. You'll never leave hungry. <laughs> it's your own fault if you do. There's The sisters put out a huge spread. What do you think, just in closing here, what do you think uh, uh, will be the catalyst to bring folks back to the Lord uh, in the military? Um, I think that we have uh, a very good foundation. Uh, the military tends to be a lot more disciplined uh, than the society at large. We attract people to serve. It is all volunteer. No one has to be there. Uh, they're there of their own volition. That's a terrific starting point. We give people an opportunity to grow and uh, take responsibility uh, for young people uh, looking to expand their horizons uh, professionally, personally. Uh, it's pretty much the sky's the limit. If people are willing to, to work hard, to learn, pay attention, they have wonderful opportunities, and this builds a base, a foundation in individuals that I think is uh, is exactly what uh, what's really helpful to growing one's spiritual faith as well. And the, the discipline in the military is uh, uh, an ideal preparation for the disciplines of a spiritual life. They fit together quite so well. I, it's very interesting, and... Uh, very happy to note that we have quite a number of seminarians these days that have actually served in the military, and when they left service, uh, decided to uh, look seriously at pursuing a vocation uh, in the priesthood. And uh, I'm seeing more and more of these. And in fact, at a 
maybe not so young uh, man uh, who I thought was an excellent officer, worked for me some years ago, uh, retired uh, a couple of years ago, and uh, was just uh, just finished, uh, made a priest, and is serving uh, serving out in the in a diocese in the Midwest, and he hopes to come back and serve in the Navy. And with somebody with this kind of background, that experience, uh, I think he'd be a terrific example to maybe encourage even even more young men and women. I met a met a sister up here a couple of years ago who had served in the Navy and had actually come to the pilgrimage as a as a young officer, uh, did her uh, her time in service, got out, professed her vows, and now she's back. Uh, Back as a sister, wonderful example. Wow, good for her. Admiral William J. Fallon, thank you so much for stopping to talk to us today. Any concluding thoughts? Final, final thought, just to remind everyone, uh, 6th of October, first Sunday, Route 15, Emmitsburg. It's a small town. There are signs all over the place. You can't miss it. And I guarantee you, you'll, uh, you'll leave uh, refreshed. The annual Pilgrimage for the Sea Services. Mass starts at 3 p.m.